Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good evening from Coolidge, Arizona. It's the Studies in the Writings of the Apostle Peter series. Um, it's the 14th of November, and this is episode number four in this series. Uh, we're still in chapter one. We're going to be uh, spanning the uh, in chapter one from verse eight till sixteen uh, this uh, this evening. Hopefully, we'll get through it. Um, one thing I want to remind you of is we don't have a lot of writing from the Apostle Peter uh, in our New Testament. We have much writing about the Apostle Peter. All the Gospels are full of things that Peter said, did, and, and was involved in. We also have the book of Acts, and he's very prominent there. Um, so we have lots of things about him, but this is what we have for the writing. Um, and it's pretty heavy duty as far as what is being said. And I would expect that from Peter. Uh, he was uh, pretty no-nonsense, um, right right to the point. He seemed to be always the first to speak, uh, quick thinker. So in these passages that we're going to look at tonight, something very powerful, I think, in my estimation, is stated. Uh, that would only be said by someone speaking from the very mind of the Lord, as the apostles did. And we'll talk, we'll have some scriptures about the impact of the apostle speaking from the mind of the Lord a little later on in this lesson. Even the prophets of old, and you know the, who I'm speaking of, uh, all the way back, the prophets all the way back to the, to the days, even including Moses and, and, uh, and on through that time period of the covenant people. All of those prophets, They did not know the mystery of God's reconciliation of mankind back to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, they didn't know that the, uh, the times and the seasons. They knew something of that. As we read in Daniel, uh, there was quite, quite a chronology there to follow. But still... The points that uh, we find in the New Testament were not uh, known in, the, in those days of the Old Testament prophets. Now, one of the reasons, of course, for that is the, God used the prophets for the work that needed to be done at that time in that place. And remember, every person uh, needs to be a person of faith. Uh, if you already know everything, you've seen everything, and you have everything God's promised, you have no need of faith any longer. You have everything, the fullness of it. But the prophets were people of faith, men of faith, 
uh, all through their lives. Now, we find these revelations of Peter in verses 10, 11, and 12, and we're going to be covering those tonight. And I want you to remember that the church then, nearly 2,000 years ago, uh, had these writings. This was written in AD 63. So the church then had a complete look at God's completed work of salvation in Christ. They also, also the revelation that was to the church was also um, out into the world at that time that the Apostle John had written from Patmos. Of course, the Jewish scriptures had many prophecies concerning the Messiah and the last time of the covenant, that is the Jewish covenant. But now the picture is clear within the writings of the apostles. Through the preaching and teaching of the apostles of Christ, the only ones ever, uh, ever able to speak these words from heaven. In other words, these words, the apostolic letters, epistles, messages, teachings, and whatever, are all sublime, for they all had their root in heaven itself, the mind of the Lord, because that's where he was, at the right hand of his Father. And they spoke those things to the people of their age. Now let's look at some of the Old Testament prophets that I'm mentioning here and see what they say. Now let's start with, uh, we have three here tonight, uh, Malachi 4. And we're reading from the Septuagint, so you might find some difference in your own Bible. Uh, if you see some difference, note it down, because if it's the Septuagint, it's probably a better, better translation. And it says this, For behold, a day comes, burning as an oven, and it shall consume them, and all, their, and all the aliens, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that is coming shall set them on fire, saith the Lord Almighty, and there shall not be left of them root nor branch. But to you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise, and healing shall be in his wings, and you shall go forth, and bound as the young calves let loose from its bonds, and you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes underneath your feet in the day which I appointed, saith the Lord Almighty. Two more verses. And behold, I will send to you Elias, or that's uh, Elijah, the Tespite, before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes, who shall turn again the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the heart of man to his neighbor lest I come and smite the earth grievously. Now, what is all this speaking about? Well, if we've been doing the study that we should, we find that this is basically the time of the messianic time period from the birth of Jesus to the end of the covenant age, A.D. 70. These things said here, this Elias, I will send to you, Elias, that's John the Immerser, or John the Baptist, as he's known. He is the forerunner of the Messiah, right? The glorious day of the Lord, the day, uh, when the Lord comes, that's the culmination of the age. 
So that's what the Old Testament prophets wrote. And let's look at um, let's look at Isaiah 53. Everyone knows this passage. And we're not going to read the whole passage. I just want to read verse 12 um, in, in this passage. Therefore he shall inherit many. The he there is talking about the one that's being spoken about in this, uh, this chapter, and that's the Messiah. And he shall divide the spoils of the mighty because his soul was delivered to death. And he was numbered among the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many and was delivered because of their iniquities. Now, who is this? Who is this but the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth? Um, and the, the whole chapter speaks of him. But this is the last verse. The, I, it's got the biggest impact, I think. And then if we look over also in, in Isaiah, Isaiah has much to say, of course, of the prophecy of the last days and the prophecy even of, of the, the uh, days of the captivity in Babylon and all that. I mean, there's much in Isaiah. is a very, I think there's 66 chapters in the whole book. But in Isaiah 62, we read this. And remember, this is the end times. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. That's God speaking. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness go forth as light, and my salvation burn as a torch. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and kings thy glory, and the one shall call thee by a new name, which the Lord shall name. And thou shalt be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God, and thou shalt no more be called forsaken, and the land shall no more be called desert. For thou shalt be called my pleasure, and thy, and thy inhabitant. For the Lord has taken pleasure in thee, and thy land shall be inhabited. One more verse. And as a young man lives with a virgin, so shall thy sons dwell in thee, and it shall come to pass that as a bridegroom will rejoice over a bride, so will the Lord rejoice over thee. Now all of this is speaking of the messianic period. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. The church is called here. It will be called, did you remember the passage? By a new name. What was the old name? The Hebrews, right? The Jewish people. When the, Messi when the Messiah comes, it's the end, it's the, it's the uh, conclusion of the age. A new age is coming. The kingdom, they were waiting for the kingdom of God. They were waiting for the new Jerusalem. All of that is the language of the apostles. They were waiting, and they only had a few years to wait in their days. We live in the, in the assembly of Christ today, in the church, as we call it, as a Christian, we live in the kingdom of God. We live in temporal places, but remember that the scripture says our citizenship is in heaven. So I don't care where you were born, if you're a Christian, your citizenship is in heaven. 
And that, that says something all uh, quite heavily, too. I want you to note this. We've read those passages. That's, and that's just a very small portion of what we have in the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophets concerning the end of time, concerning the end of days or the last hour, all the different leading up to this messianic period. As the first days, or as the days, rather, of the first covenant dwindled down, the words of the prophets and the apostles made clear the fulfillment of all prophecy was upon the people of God. And everything, everything was coming together. All of the prophecies of old and all of the, the speaking, the preaching of the apostles, everything was coming together to be fulfilled, all of it to be fulfilled in the Messianic period before A.D. 70. And that's what it says, folks, even in the Gospels. I think it's Luke 21, 20 or 21. And the assemblies of Christ were the unshakable remnant left to be the kingdom of God. What was left? The old was gone, rolled up, replaced by the new. Root and branch. Here we go in Luke 21, the words of Jesus. Now listen closely. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her destruction or desolation is near. I, I could speak about 15 minutes on the word desolation, but I won't tonight. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave and those who are in the country must not enter the city because these are the days of vengeance so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Now what's the all things Jesus is talking about here? All the things that are written. All the things that are written. Every prophecy in the Old Testament. I think Jesus knows what he's speaking about. And I think he got it right. Just because 40 years ago when I saw the word all there, I didn't put it together that way. Maybe you don't tonight. But I want you to challenge yourself. What does it mean? What is Jesus talking about if he's not talking about things which are written? It's the scriptures. It doesn't mean they're, they're useless it means that the prophecies are fulfilled, which makes them more precious. That's what we know. That's what the scripture teaches us. That's what the apostles were teaching. We don't live in the apostolic age. We live in the apostolic church. We don't live in the, the messianic period. We live after the kingdom of God was established full-grown when the old was over and the new began. All right. Now, that's my introduction. Let's look at 1 Peter. I'm gonna, I want to read the verses first, and then we'll go through them. Uh, starting with verse 8, last, last uh, week we were in verse 8 and 9. We left off. Uh, but we need to read them along with the other verses to get the full impact. And because uh, these sentences are very long, we don't we usually put periods in here. But 
it's hard to put a period in here when it just keeps rolling on. All right, verse 8. Whom not having seen, that is, speaking of Jesus, the people at receiving this letter had not seen Jesus, and they whom not having seen yet loved, in whom now not seen and believing, you are glad with joy unspeakable and glorified, receiving the end of your faith, salvation of souls. But see, that's what being a Christian is, is being in the salvation of souls, being part of that. Concerning which salvation, seek out and search out, did prophets who concerning the, the, the grace towards you did prophesy. Now that's what I've been speaking about all evening so far. The idea that they, they uh, sought and searched these things, they wanted to know all they could about it. You would too. Verse 11, searching in regard to what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ that was in them was manifesting, that is clearly seen, testifying beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory after these, to whom it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering these, which now were told to you through those who did proclaim the good news to you. In the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, to which things messengers or angels do desire to bend looking. Wherefore, having girded up the loins of your mind, being sober, hope perfectly upon the grace that is being brought to you in the word, the, the V is not in the original Greek, so it's in revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves to the former desires in your ignorance. But according as he who did call you is holy, you also become holy in all behavior. Because it hath been written, become ye holy because I am holy. And that's a quotation, I believe, from uh, Leviticus 19.2. He's repeating that, that scripture. Now, there's a lot of things said there that we just don't find in other places. Uh, We certainly don't find them in in, uh, anywhere outside of apostolic teaching. Um. Let's look at verse 11. And right in verse 11, I read the other verses to take us to verse 11, actually, because we're talking about, what, the Old Testament prophets. There's three points here in verse 11. Let me lay them out. It says, Searching in regard to what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ that was in them, and in them is the Old Testament prophets, Mm -hmm was clearly seen testifying beforehand. In other words, testifying before the sufferings of the the Christ and the glory after these. The prophets of old were very eager to know more about the Redeemer of Israel. Why wouldn't they? 
you know, we, we, we want to know everything about Jesus too, don't we? Well, they did too. Because remember, they were waiting in faith for the Redeemer. And also, the Redeemer meant the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God was at hand. As, as Jesus preached, the kingdom is near, is what he said. And what John the Baptist said. They wanted to know when these things would be, where they would take place. They wanted to know the substance of it. And they recorded everything God gave them to write and preserve for the Jewish people, the covenant people of God. And we read it today as historical, but also as sublime from heaven. The second point, there's two, three points. The Spirit of Christ. Now, what is this Spirit of Christ? We're talking about the Old Testament here, aren't we? Well, here's what we need to understand. You do remember that Jesus said that he was with his Father before the creation of all things, right? That's John 17 and, and mentioned in other places. Uh, by others. The Spirit of Christ, yes, this, of course, is a real revelation made by Peter concerning the spirit of the Old Testament prophets. What was the spirit in the prophets? It was the spirit of Christ. Which is equal to the spirit of truth. It's the spirit of truth. And we're going we're gonna to look at the spirit in general. See, in modern theology, we, we want to break the spirit away from the source of the spirit, which is the Father in heaven and his Son. We can't do that. We can't really do that. The scripture doesn't do it, and we shouldn't either. All right? The spirit of Christ was within the Old Testament prophets, testifying beforehand, Right? Now, the Greek confirms this. The spirit is, is the normal word. We just had it on the screen. It's, uh, there is no article. There's no the. There, there is no the. I don't think I put it in our notes. Uh, even though it, in the English it rolls off your tongue a little better if you put that in there, but you shouldn't. Uh, you don't need to because it's spirit of Christ. Uh, and that's testimony enough, isn't it? The Christ being Christos, and that is uh, that is uh, very clearly, and of course, pneuma, the spirit being neuter and gender. See, it's hard to make a, uh, we don't find the spirit in a masculine form. Uh, only, only in, uh, I believe, two verses has, Jesus speaks about the comforter being the exact the exactness of him in spirit form. Mm -hmm. And there the Greek writers put in the masculine in the pronoun. But not here. Uh, here we find it exactly as it's written. Uh, and, and we should understand it that way. You know, I was very excited the first time I actually grasped 
what that meant and what it what it said many years ago. Uh, because I surely didn't think about it that way. The Old Testament does not say it that way. It talks about the Spirit from heaven. It talks about the Spirit of God uh, and all of and all of this um, uh, this sort of thing. But here we have a clarification from who? The Apostle of Christ? And there's a good reason why he said this. Now he was speaking about, of course, he, uh, in the Old Testament prophets were speaking about the unborn Messiah. He, they were speaking about all of his attributes and all of this before his suffering. Then the third point is then the glory. In other words, there's something that follows the Messiah and follows all the attributes of the Messiah, follows the suffering of the Christ. And what is that? That is the glory, the body of Christ. That is to follow all of these things. That's just what it says. That should follow. That should follow. So it follows the suffering. Now let's look at verse 12. And here we're going to get into the, uh, a little more of this issue about the mind of Christ. Verse 12 says, To whom it was revealed. Now, you're going to have to stay with me here because uh, I know most of our English Bibles do not use the right pronoun in the first part of this passage. To whom it was revealed that not to themselves, now we're talking about here, the Old Testament prophets. It was revealed to them certain things that not to themselves, but to us. Us. It's first person, plural. Now who do you suppose the us might be? It's going to be the apostles. That's the apostles of Christ. And how do we know that? Well, by the, by the rest of the verse. That's how we know the context. Uh, we go back to that passage. I know there's a variance there. In most of our Bibles, a lot of them have you in there. Uh, but there's a reason for the us being first person plural, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. They were ministering these. In other words, the things that they said, which now were told to you. You see, we want to put us up there on the, uh, we want to take ourselves and everybody else and stick it where the us is, but what do we do with the you down here? You see the distinction? The scriptures, the, the, there's no error here. Look at it closely. And then the next little phrase, through those who did proclaim the good news to you. Here we have again the apostles being spoken about as the proclaimers and the you being the listeners, that is the people who received the letter. In Holy Spirit, the, the V is not in the original Greek, in Holy Spirit sent from heaven to which these messengers do desire to bend looking. And um, speaking of the angels, even the angels in heaven peer, want to look into the things uh, in this way. 
Okay, to whom it was revealed. Not the, uh, that was the Old Testament prophets. But they, weren't, they didn't know everything until it came to the us here. But to us were all things revealed. That's in the that that's with, with that's through the New Testament as far as the apostolic writings. They are the ones that deliver the mystery of God to the church. So, but to us the apostles, the first person plural, and it, it also may be speaking about in that in that sense. It may also be speaking about the Jewish people in in a fullness of the covenant people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also could be in reference to that, and I think that's why there's a variance there in um, some of the Greek texts. Um, even notice in our Greek on the screen, it, it, they have second, uh, second person. Well, then how about the, the first person? Mm-hmm. Where are they here? Was it revealed to the people before... They were even Christians? Well, I think not. The us has to be the apostles in this passage because we're talking about the mysteries of God. We're talking about the things that even the Old Testament prophets did not understand about the church, about salvation through Jesus the Christ, about the cross, about the resurrection, about everything to do with the way. You know, the way is the way of Christ, the way of the Nazarene. That was another phrase that was used. It wasn't time to reveal those things yet. It wasn't time. It wasn't time, but now it is time, just as Daniel says. In the last days, knowledge will increase. All right? This is the knowledge being increased here. This passage and the ones before it. And remember, in this verse 11, we have the phrase, which now we're told to you. So you can argue all day long about that us up there needing to be everybody. But what are you going to do about the second one down there? That's just, that's just bad English if you're going to do it that way. We can't do that, friends. We need to look at it as it's written. Uh, second person plural, those receiving the letter both Jews and Greeks, who are now one in Christ. Remember, this letter sent to the what? The chosen sojourners. That's those in Christ. It's not a general letter to everybody who breathes air. That's who the letter was to, the Christians. And others are going to read this letter, and that's fine. But the letter is not addressed to everyone. It's not a general epistle to uh, every person. Anybody can read it, but they have to understand that there's particulars within the epistle that are for those that are the chosen sojourners. Now, it's our task as a person to become a chosen sojourner. We can feel very sorry that everyone's not a chosen sojourner, but we need to try to help them become one. And that's that's a task for us. Now let's look at the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That's in this passage, isn't it? The Holy Spirit sent from heaven? Well, when did that happen? 
When did it happen? Well, it's happened a number of times. Uh, one of the one of the times that's most vivid is when Moses was uh, leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, uh, and then later on during that that trip, uh, Moses' brother or father-in-law said, "Moses, you can't take care of all these people by yourself. Choose. You need to choose some others." And and uh, and they. Uh, uh, they did so, and I think they chose 72 different men to be judges over the, the different tribes. And a portion, a portion of the spirit that Moses had came to those 72 men so they could do the, work, the Lord's work, the God's work for the people of Israel. You remember that? Well, that's one time. Uh, but within that that passage, we're, we're not going to find the things that we find in the New Testament. We only know that we're, we're talking about uh, the Spirit from God. Well, let's look at the first passage, Matthew 3. I want to talk about when this happened to Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, um, as far as God sending the Spirit to him uh, in a visible way that people could see. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, And having been baptized, remember by John the Immerser, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and lo, open to him were the heavens, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And lo, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I did delight. Do you see uh, the issue of the Spirit of God here? Coming to Jesus? Oh, by the way, the Scripture says that Jesus had the Spirit without measure. And that probably is not the case for any man or woman, uh, but Jesus had the Spirit without measure. Now, how about the apostles? Um, I want to make a point here because I, I'm making a big thing out of what the apostles say we need to be very mindful of and realize that it's not just the apostles' best thinking because they're good men. No, no, these things are from God. They're from the Lord. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now listen to these verses. Jesus had been crucified. He had been resurrected. And now came 50 days later after, the, after the, these times, the time of Pentecost being fulfilled. It was the day of Pentecost, which, by the way, is the first day of the week. Monday or uh, Sunday. Uh, most people think it's Monday, but uh, uh, it is Sunday. They were all with one accord at the same place. Now here I'm, I need to tell you that they, the they, the pronoun, refers to the apostles and to them only. And there came suddenly out of the heaven a sound as of a, a bearing violent breath, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them 
divided tongues, as it were of fire, and it sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues according as the Spirit was giving them to declare. Who is this now? The apostles, right? There was 120 folks in that room. And a lot of theologians want to tell you they all 120 had this experience. Well, if they did, then we had 120 apostles. Because we're not speaking about the uh, the spirit within the church, the spirit amongst the body of Christ. We're speaking about an individual situation for them that had been promised to them, by the way, by Jesus. Go to Jerusalem and wait from the wait for the gift from my Father, power from on high. This is how it's fulfilled. First Corinthians two sixteen. I'll give you an illustration of it. Paul says here, speaking about many things, but he says, For who did know the mind of the Lord, that he should instruct him? And we, first person plural, the apostles, we have the mind of Christ. Now, friends, if we all have the mind of Christ, why would we need to read the Bible? Or study? And all of, we don't have the mind of Christ. But when we have the scriptures, we're reading the mind of Christ. We have the information. We can make it who we are. Speaking of the apostles, let's go to, to Mark 13, verse 11. Jesus speaking to the apostles here. No one else was there, just the apostles. And when they may lead you, the apostles, delivered up, be not anxious before and what you may speak, nor premeditate, but whatever may be given to you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not you who are speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Is that, is that our situation there? Is that what happens to us? No. No, it does not happen. Matter of fact, within... In uh, this epistle from Peter, we're going to find that he teaches the Christians in the church to always be prepared to give a given answer to your faith. In other words, study to, to show yourself approved. Know the things of God so you can repeat them. Why not just sit back and say, well, I'll just wait for the Lord to speak through me. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. He's already done it. We call it the Bible. You need to know the Bible. Know the Word of God. This was for the apostles. I wasn't there. That wasn't said to me. It wasn't said to you. Anybody today, no matter how fascinating and wonderful it might have been, it's not for us. But thank, we can thank God that it was for them because through them we have we have an answer and we have a real we can build a real faith on the truth of God's word the angels in heaven desired to look but well, why not this is what a situation all of this is even in heaven they were waiting for what God was going to do this was all in process 
They wanted to look into it because it was glorious. It was majestic. I was trying to remember the, the scripture in the New Testament. I think it's in Colossians. Um, it talks about the, the fact that we cannot with our minds imagine the glory of heaven, the glory of the, the new Jerusalem uh, in, its, in, in the spiritual realm, if you will. We can't. We can't imagine. We can imagine some pretty glorious things, but believe me, it's a lot more than that. Was it, wasn't it Paul who refused to try to compare it to anything? Yeah, it was. And it was Paul who wrote that, that passage also mm-hmm. that I couldn't remember where it was. Yeah, yeah I, I, sometimes I can't remember where everything is. And I'm not going to say, like a lot of folks do, it's in there somewhere. I'll just let that go. But you can find it if you look. Um, let's go to the next the next uh, next group then. I'm just going to read, reread verses 13 through 16, and we can talk about them. Now, we've covered the heavy stuff, but this is also important. Verse 13, Wherefore, having girded up the loins of your mind, being sober, hope perfectly upon the grace that is being brought to you in revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves to the former desires in your ignorance. But according as he who did call you is holy, you also become holy in all behavior. Because it hath been written, become ye holy because I am holy. And that's in Leviticus 19, verse 2, I believe. All right. What's this? Verse 13 has... some points in it. Gird up the loins of your mind. You know, that that's a little bit hard to do. Uh, it's not like putting the belt in the belt loops and making sure your pants where they where they belong. But it's girding up the loins of your mind. Uh, and really what it means is have understanding. All of this is about your mind. It's about how you're thinking, who you are. Gird up the loins of your mind. Have understanding of the things of God. The next one, be sober. And, and that's not any issue to do with intoxicating liquors or something, although that would be... It's not isolated to it's it. Not, no, it's not just that, okay? It's a lot more than that. It's being sound of mind, settled. You know, most people use intoxicating things because they're not a settled person. They don't have a settled spirit. They're not content. They're not what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed, blessed. They don't have a settled and, and, and controlled spirit. But this is what we need to have as Christians. Sound mind, settled mind, and that brings us to the to the other point here, hope perfectly. What's that mean? How do you hope perfectly? You're waiting, you're hoping for something, but you're supposed to do it perfectly? It really means in fullness of understanding. In other words, hope is not chance. I hope I go to heaven. Well, if that's what you really mean, then you don't have enough information. All right? You're not informed. 
you fall into the, the ignorant category. And that's not stupid, that's ignorant. That's without the information you need. Ignorant. Hope perfectly simply means in fullness of understanding. You want to strengthen your faith? Strengthen your, your, your hope? Then know God's Word. Be in it. Study it. Make it part of your life. That's how you hope perfectly. You have something perfectly to hope in, and you can hope in a way that really you're going to receive what you're hoping for if you have understanding. Upon the grace being brought to you. Now here's the word grace again. You know, if grace means uh, uh, salvation for the unworthy, as the denominations preach, that's not God's grace. There's no grace for the unworthy or the unrepentative or the ungodly. Grace is simply God's good favor. God extends the terms of pardon to mankind. And you, friends, either accept it and go by each point and make it part of who you are or you don't. So that's what God's grace is all about. His good favor. I think about what the angel said when the night the Messiah was born. And this is the this is the concept. Uh, the Messiah came for those that were waiting for him. That was the promise fulfilled. All of this, all of these things we've read tonight, all of this is in revelation of Jesus Christ. His appearing that they were waiting for, the people that were reading this letter for the very first time, were waiting for the appearance of Jesus, the end of the covenant, um, the things that had been written about, the, the, the Apostle John had written the Revelation, and they had a lot of information that was pertinent to the time period they lived. And we can read in, in Mark 13, let's just go there, Mark 13 to close out our study. Verse 24, Mark 13, 24 uh, says, But in those days, now this is Jesus speaking again, talking to the apostles, after the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of the heavens shall be falling and the powers that are in the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall, and then they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds with much power and glory. And he shall send his messengers, or angels, and gather together his chosen from the four winds from the ends of the earth unto the end of heaven. That is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the appearing of. Now, by the way, the word here in verse uh, 26, and they shall see the Son of Man. If you go to the Greek, you'll find that there's about um, seven, eight, or nine different <coughs> words 
in Greek that are translated sea. And uh, they're and they're not all uh, as this one. This one is this sea is sea like people say when they're per, they're presented with a problem and they consider what it is and then they say, oh, I see, I finally see. That's what this sea is. When when the Lord came, the people knew in their minds and hearts that what was happening at that time. Because remember, it also says at this time period that these things happen without observation. But we're talking about the physical area there, the physical. Even though there was a lot of physical things happening in Jerusalem and Judea during that time period. But the word see is not with your eyes in this in this passage. Um, in matter of fact, Matthew 24 has the same word, and it doesn't mean to see with your eyes. It's not vision. It's to have a knowledge, understanding. Um, I think that's very interesting. So that's what we have for you this evening. And uh, hopefully... Um, it hasn't been too uh, tedious being technical and all that. Um, but I want you to get the full impact of these verses um, because all of them are important or they wouldn't be there. Every word in them is important or they wouldn't be there. That's what we have to understand. So we bid you a good evening. Until next time, let us pray. We thank you, Father, for the blessing it is to study your word in a peaceful place and come to know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.